Welcome to the TBN UK podcast. In this series, you can hear some of the interviews from TBN Meets, where faith meets culture. Hear from Christian ministries, innovators, authors, artists, and creatives. Enjoy. Hi, TBN family, and welcome to a very special international edition of TBN Meets. Today, we're in Houston, Texas, and I'm going to be speaking to Pastor Jeremy Foster about his amazing megachurch and vision for his church right here in this city. Hello, Pastor Jeremy. What an honor to be here with you. I can't believe you guys came all this way. It's amazing. We're excited to be here. We got a trip out of it. So I know. It's, it's <laughs> and you get some good food. We got some good food, so it's all been fine. We've had a great time. Good. Well, I'm glad you're here. It's great to be with you. And so, just to start off to our, all of our TV and family at home, how, who are you? How did you come to be a pastor? How did you come to be doing what you're doing? Well, the truth is, um, well, first, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Um, I have six kids. I have wow. five kids that are biological and then a plus one. And uh, so we're really blessed and really busy. And uh, I never dreamed of being a pastor. I come from a family of pastors and uh, I've always loved pastors. Um, but I wasn't one of those guys who was like, I don't want to be a pastor because I don't like pastors or whatever. I, I loved pastors. My dad was a pastor. And what I observed was how hard it was, um, how much it took, how much he loved people. And I just didn't think that I could ever do that. So I went into business. And, uh, and then I went into kind of bivocational ministry. And then at uh, 37, when I was 37 years old, my wife and I decided, okay, we, we have a, a passion for the, for the west side of Houston, which Houston is a massive city, 6.8 million people in greater Houston. And, uh, and so we started praying. And then in 2015, we launched Hope City and the rest is history. Here we are. And that's really incredible because obviously from going from not wanting to be a pastor to being a pastor of a mega church with some 10,000 people, that's quite, um, that's quite a jump and a leap. How did you feel God pulled you along that journey? I think he taught me. I think um, I think I thought, and maybe somebody watching feels this way, I, I felt like I was late to the game. I was 38, starting a church, did not feel like it would blow up, did not feel like, I just, I just wanted to reach people. I love people. And, uh, and I think every, everything to me has been a surprise. None of it has been like, oh, watch this, guys. We're going to crush it. <laughs> um, it's never been that way. In fact, uh, I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, you got to stop being so amazed at what God's doing. Yeah. And I thought, I don't think so, man. I, I, I shook, shook my head at him. I was like, sure, sure, sure. But I walked away and I, I told God, I was like, God, I never want to stop being amazed at what you've done. I never, I never want to wake up a day and not be blown away by what God is doing. And so I'm blown away that I get to be a part of it. Um, I'm blown away that I get to lead the team. Um, and so it, it, for me, the way he sustained us through it is just through his grace. And every day, just being like, wow, God, I get to be a, like this today. I get to be a part of this. I mean, you're here. It's amazing. But it's, it's kind of that hard balance, isn't it? Because yeah. on one hand, should we be like, okay, God, we know that you're going to do exceedingly abundantly. Absolutely. Or should we stay blunt? Like, how do you, how do you find that balance? I think it's, I think it, I think it, I don't know that it's as much as a balance as it is a rhythm to like, okay, every day I'm just going to, I'm going to trust that God's going to do something great, but I'm going to be amazed when he does. Um, and that for me, um, it, it, you look through the Bible, Paul was that way, you know, um, believing that God could while he was in prison yeah. and staying faithful, writing the prison epistles in prison, believing God was going to do something great. And when he did, it was just like, wow, amazing. And so I think, I think when you live that way, just in your daily life, you don't have to be a pastor to live that way. Like just trust that God's going to do something great. And if he doesn't, that's okay. I'm going to keep trusting him. But when he does, 
man, I'm going to thank him like it's the only thing he's ever done for me. Because it's the difference between the now and the not yet, isn't it? Absolutely. And how do you find you hold yourself in that space? So from knowing that, okay, I feel called to pastoring, how many people were there when you first started your kind of first Sunday? So we, we uh, well, we started with a team of about 200. And we just started, uh, like, uh, we did a, a vision night and we, we grabbed people. Um, I'm, a, I'm a marketer by trade, but background is marketing. And so we marketed it big. But more than that, we prayed. Um, we did this thing. And I think sometimes when you look back, you go, oh, wow, that was an awesome idea. <laughs> it was definitely a God idea because we didn't know that it would be great. And uh, I had a little challenge six months before we launched the church. I said, we're going to do a six-month prayer challenge. What would happen if a group of people prayed every day for six months before they launched their church? What could God do? So every day for six months, we prayed. And we did this little Instagram challenge, and that blew up on Instagram, and it blew up on social media. A lot of people from around the, the country started praying with us. And so on our first Sunday, we launched with um, 1,287 people, which blew me away. I was shocked by that. And then I told our team, like, hey, man, they may not all come back next week. <laughs> so let's just, let's just, Let's just believe that at least half of them are going to come back next week. And over a thousand came back the next week. And then three months later, we were hitting 2,500. And it was just, just consistent from there, thousands of people coming. And so that for me has, just, and it's not stopped, that for me has just been a miracle of God just to be a part of it. Because now most churches would kind of say, okay, 21 day prayer. And yeah. we all think, wow, that's like a, that's a big commitment. 21, you know, committed, but six months to pray every day. Do you see the direct like link between doing that and kind of 100%. how your church is growing? I tell our church, if we're ever going to be anything as a church, it's going to be because we're a praying church. Not because we're a relevant church, not because we have cool smoke and lights and, and great sound and, and, you know, people that know how to speak relevantly. It's going to be because we pray. Um, we can put on a good performance. Yeah. And people can feel it emotionally. I mean, you can go to a Celine Dion concert and feel it, man. Yeah. But it doesn't have the staying power that changes you. That's the power of prayer, not the power of performance. The power of performance can move people emotionally, yeah. but it is the power of God that changes their lives. And so that's what we are desperate for, the power of God. And so I, it's so interesting, because in the UK, we, it's kind of a different landscape in terms of church. And sure. I myself have always been guilty of saying, well, it's a numbers game. There's way more people in America, which is true, than there are. <laughs> very, very true. We're very small. Like, we can fit into, like, Texas, like, probably about it. ten yeah. times. Um, but so, and then I think we maybe transmit some of that into the way our churches do or don't grow. Mm -hmm. How do you, did you believe for big numbers, or has that come as a byproduct just of prayer, or what did you think about it going into it? I believed for big numbers, but uh, let me say it this way. Um, we count by thousands, God still counts by ones. Yeah. So I believe for big numbers, but I wasn't as interested in big numbers, I think, as some guys get. They get really interested in big numbers, and they attach their own worth and affirmation to big numbers. You can't do that. If you trace it all the way back to the New Testament, there were a small number of people praying. Yeah. Remember, Jesus ascends and says, go and tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power on high. He speaks it to 500 people, immediately shrinks his church. There's about 120 that are still there after 10 days praying. They prayed for 10 straight days. And after 10 straight days, 24-hour prayer, the Holy Spirit comes. Amazing things happen. And then it spills out in the streets. So it's 120 people in a prayer meeting really getting after it. And then it goes to thousands. So the first megachurch wasn't in our time. The first megachurch was in the book of Acts. Yeah. Thousands are added to the church daily. In fact, they're counting them. Some people say, you shouldn't count. Well, there's a book called Numbers <laughs> in the Bible, so I think you probably should. You just shouldn't focus on it. But there are 3,000 added and 5,000 added, and then they're adding disciples. And so it's not just a focus on numbers. 
It's to focus on discipleship of the people. Because I'm not trying to build a crowd. I'm trying to build a church. I'm trying to build individuals. And so I think sometimes we can discount whatever we're doing. I would tell you this. Like if, if somebody has a church of 10, all right. Maybe God called you to pastor those 10 people, to disciple those 10 people like Cornelius disciples Paul. And Paul is the one who speaks to thousands, not Cornelius, Paul. And so maybe God called you to be a Cornelius, maybe He called you to be a Paul, maybe He called you to be a Timothy. You have to settle in your heart what God called you to. Believe God to do great things, but let Him do it and don't attach your value to what God does through you. But as a church, I feel like we're still kind of big church is bad. Like, I think there's definitely, there's definitely a, a feeling that you get, well, that church is just so big. Like, yeah. I'm worried they're not discipling people yeah. and people are just getting saved and then going through the door. How do we break that? Because really, if we long to see revival, then you have to, you go numbers. Yeah. Like you say, you, well, you, we want them. I think, honestly, I don't think it's a bad question. I don't think it's a bad question to look at a big church and go, hey, are you guys sure that you're doing this the way that you're supposed to be doing this? Because, I mean, in today's culture, you can build a crowd. And uh, I'm not saying it's easy to build a crowd, but you can build a really big crowd, an attractional crowd. But, but if you're not actually discipling people, that won't last a long time. And so for us, what we said is, was, I don't want to just count by thousands. I want to count by ones. And so we started small groups, and we disciple in groups, um, and we want people to grow. I tell our church all the time, if, if I'm the only person that you're getting your spiritual food from, you're going to go hungry. You, you, you have, if you're just hearing from me once a week, that's not enough. I don't want them to be addicted to hearing from me. I want them to be addicted to reading the Word and getting close to Christ. And so that's why we, we start groups. We have more than 600 groups that meet around our city every week. And we encourage people to be a part of a group, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. We do life in groups. The first thing that, that God said was not good was for man to be alone. Okay, and he didn't create a thousand people for man. He created, he created a woman for man. He created community because we need community. And the first thing that Jesus does before he launches his earthly ministry is what does he do? He selects 12 guys and he says, you're going to be my small group. And then he has three that he's really close to. And so I think if we're not careful, the tendency will be to look at a church and say, oh, they just have thousands. But really the only way you keep those thousands is if you're actually building people. So I would encourage people to look, to look smaller, not just bigger. As we grow the church bigger, we have to grow it smaller at the same time. And that's my mentality, is, is to grow in groups, to grow individuals. And so how do you shepherd that? Because obviously pastors' hearts are big, but there's many, many people. Mm -hmm. how do, what do you feel your personal responsibility is in that space? Because it's, it could be really huge, or how do you kind of trickle that down well, here's your the leadership? Thing. There's no way that I can personally pastor 10,000, 14,000 people. I just can't do it. I can pastor our staff though. So my job is to be accessible on call to the people that are on our team that are high level volunteers and to really pastor them and to equip, empower and release them to pastor other people. If you look at the New Testament church, that is a model of what they did. Paul did not pastor everybody. He sent letters. He didn't have time to send emails. You know what I mean? Like, like he had to send a letter and then he sent that to the pastors. The pastors would get up and read those to, the, to other pastors and to other group leaders and they would take those to house to house to, to adjust and shift the church. And so I think that's what we have to do. We have to raise people up. It does scare me. A culture that a church is dependent solely upon the pastor's theology, the pastor's revelation, that scares me. I think that we, that we as pastors are admonished through the scriptures to raise the level of biblical literacy in the congregation so that people can learn and get closer to God themselves. 
And so back to you a bit. You yourself have like a really interesting um, story, and I was, we've been watching some of your messages in preparation for today. I'm not going to give you a pop quiz on anything like that. Please don't. I don't remember what I preached last week. <laughs> but we've been watching some of your messages and, and thinking, hearing you talking about things like relationships and you and your wife and your children. Mm -hmm. um, how important is family life to you and keeping that at kind of the core of who you are? Well, I think God created God created the family, and out of the family everything grew. Government comes from family. The way we do, the, 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 uh, the way that we look at life comes from family. And I think so, you have to protect family. And um, I tell our team all the time, you can do ministry at the greatest level, but if you lose your family, you're lost, man. Um, I, I, want, I, I don't want just everybody to go to heaven. I want my kids to go to heaven. And so I think for me and for Jen, um, my amazing wife, it is, uh, it's about rhythm. It's about the rhythm of life and making certain that we slow down that we spend time together, we spend focused time together. Last night, I came home, I was on a trip, and I came home, and I have a three-year-old son, and all he wanted to do, the only thing he wanted to do was be tickled by me. That was it. Now, I'm over here thinking about what I've got to do tomorrow, and I had to stop everything and live in that moment. And it was a great moment just to tickle a three-year-old and him <laughs> laugh, belly laugh, and we had a good time. So I think, for me, that's crucial and, and very important for people, especially in ministry. Don't, don't do so much that you lose your own family. And you and your wife have a really interesting story. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, the short version is um, we f we met and we fell in love and we got married within nine months. It's super fast. In fact, sometimes when I tell people that, they're like, oh, my gosh, that's so sweet. I'm like, no, that's so not smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't so, do that. Don't do that. Take time. In fact, we were like, people are like, you need to go to premarital counseling. We were like, we love each other, though. And, uh, and we found out quickly that love is not what keeps us together. Um, it's commitment. And it's the understanding that love is a choice and not an emotion. A lot of times in our culture, um, we think that love is an emotion. It's just something that I feel. But according to Scripture, love is a choice. Jesus said, love your enemies and, and, and do good to those that despitefully use you. That has to be a decision. You don't just get warm fuzzies about that, you know. Um, and so Jen and I went through just a, a terrible marriage in the first five years. Um, the truth is Jen was abused and uh, from her earliest memory, abused by a family member. And that started a cycle all the way to about age 18, 19. And uh, she finally was able to kind of escape all of that. And, uh, and then she gave her life to Christ. And it was an amazing moment. And then she met me and we fell in love and we got married. And on the honeymoon, abuse entered into that relationship as well, into our relationship. Only this time, um, she wasn't abused. She became the abuser. And uh, I didn't know what to do with that. I, I know what it is to wear long sleeves to cover bruises and to wear makeup on my face to cover scratch marks. And I didn't know how to handle that. So I handled it in the worst way possible. And that was, I just kind of rejected her. I just kind of told her like, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. Like, what are you doing? And uh, instead of cultivating her and saying, I'm gonna love you like Christ loved the church. Um, I, I was deep into ministry and deep into business and just getting after us by vocational ministry. So I was kind of like, hey, if you can catch up, come on. And uh, finally, after two years, we had two children and she left. She, we were separated and we were separated for 27 months. And it was during that season that she really built a relationship with God. And I tell people I gave my life to Jesus when I was five, but I didn't really need him till I was 25. And it was in that season that I think I really built a relationship with God and God miraculously put our marriage back together. And here we are 19 years in and God's doing amazing things. And we, we can't believe that we get to do this. And so I believe in restoration. I believe in grace and, uh, and I'm, a, I'm a product of it. And I love her deeply.
And do you think that this is kind of the bedrock of the tenacity to be a great pastor? 100%. If you're going to do anything great for God, you have to be ready for suffering. You have to be ready for pain because it's pain that, that produces purpose in you. If I haven't been through some pain, it all depends on how I, how I handle it. If I hold on to pain, pain in my hands does nothing but continue to hurt me. Pain in the hands of God can propel me into something great. And so I just, I learned to put it in His hands and consistently, continually. Can I just be real with you? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We had a fight. We had a fight this morning. <laughs> we had a fight this morning. <laughs> we had a fight and it was ridiculous. It was hilarious. I don't even remember what exactly brought it on, but I, but I know that in the middle of it, Instead of thinking, what's wrong with her? I started thinking, what's right with her? And I just walked back up to her and I was like, hey, look, I'm a moron. I'm sorry. I was a jerk and I shouldn't have talked to you like that. And she just laughed and she said, hey, I love you. It's okay. I could have said things differently. And for me, that right there, that doesn't come naturally. That comes through pain and years of realizing this is who I want to be. And, and I'm, I'm willing to submit my life to do it. And I think that's the prerequisite for ministry. Because how I love my wife shows me how Jesus loves me and, and what he can do through us. And so our, our marriage is a microcosm of our ministry. We've been through a lot of pain. But boy, look at what, look at what happens whenever you just trust God with it. And I've got so many questions right now, so I'm wondering which question should I go for? But I think it's just so, it's so interesting about that. Do you think that as, as a church culture in general, mm -hmm. we become so uncomfortable with pain and suffering that we just don't know how to sit in it and, and move forward? What do you think is the answer? I think we've gotten addicted to miracles. Okay. And I love miracles. I believe in miracles, man. I've seen it happen. I've seen God do amazing things. And I think we get, we get addicted to only the promises of God that we like. So we claim those promises of God that He's going to give us peace in the pain, that He's going to be there for us. And I love that because that is a promise from God. But Jesus very clearly said, in this world, you will have trouble, period. That was a promise from God. Nobody's putting it on a bracelet. Nobody's putting it on a T-shirt like, hey, in this world, you'll have trouble. Get your T-shirts. You know, nobody's saying that. But, but the truth is, um, we will have trouble. We will have pain. We will have heartache. And I think sometimes the pulpits don't, don't say that enough. Like, hey, look, when you give your life to Christ, it's not all going to be roses and butterflies. You're going to still walk through challenges. And I think knowing that, like, the, God uses those challenges to grow me and, and to help me overcome. Like, I can't, and this is so cliche, it's, I'm a preacher, okay? <laughs> you can't have a testimony without a test, right? You have to be tested. And the Bible says that, that your faith is going to be tested. And the testing of that faith brings perseverance. And that perseverance will push me towards purpose. So why is it that I get so mad when I go through pain? And so I tell our church all the time, instead of saying, God, get me out of this, start saying, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Because he may not always deliver you out of everything, but he has promised that he will be with you in the midst of everything. Because I think that's one of the most powerful things someone ever says to me once, just ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Yeah, what are you showing me? Rather than kind of, uh, but I feel like, is it the way we consume church? Is it the way we don't consume our Bibles? Is it the way that we don't pray that makes us just ill-equipped? Well, I think sometimes it becomes, and I mean, just speaking very plainly, I think sometimes it becomes, we create, ah, I'm, gonna, I'm going yeah, here. Go on, go I on. think sometimes it's, it's a bit like when Moses is on the mountain and he's hearing from God and the people are in the valley and they're like, hey, where's this guy Moses? And so they create this golden calf and they worship the calf. They don't stop worshiping Jehovah. They just substitute 
a calf for Jehovah because like, hey, we need to see something tangible. Like we kind of want to see the blessings. Okay. So will you fashion us something that works for us? Like, like, can you just make Jesus a little bit more user friendly? And so I think sometimes that's what we do. We try to make Jesus user friendly and wrap him around our will instead of wrapping our will around him. And sometimes I have to crush myself to get in his will. He said very clearly, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He never said, take up your couch and follow me. It's going to be comfortable. Here's the remote. Enjoy life. He never said that. He said, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to be with you. And I think that is where we have to get today's Christians to understand, hey, hey like life actually is pretty simple in, in the developed world for us. Like we have air conditioning, you know, we have good food, we have breathable air, like we can make decisions on where we want to go today. And so we tend to think that it should be easier when the truth is God never promised us easy, but he did promise his presence. And so if I seek his presence, then no matter what situation that I'm in, he's going to be there with me, he's going to be good. So in terms of thinking about that as we grow ourselves individually and kind of going back to what you said earlier about church and community, how can as churches, as we pray for revival, as we hope for it, as we hope for the numbers, how do we help communities to wrap around each other in a healthy way? Because so many people have been so hurt by church, right? That's yeah. why a lot of people leave. How do we grow healthier communities? Well, I think first it has to start with, with the acknowledgement that church has hurt somebody. And something I often do is I just look at our church and I just say, hey, if you've ever been hurt or burned by church, if you've ever been hurt by a pastor, you've ever been hurt by somebody who was supposed to represent Christ, please know that they were not a good representative of Christ. And that's not how Christ is. And he loves you. And I just look at him and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you walked through that. And now let's remember that we're all humans being, right? We're, we're all fail, fallen. We all fail. We all make mistakes. And that's what gives us the opportunity to show and share Christ is how we love one another shows and shares Christ. And so, and, and teaching people that we do need each other. We need each other for growth. Instead of fighting one another and constantly fighting for our way, how today can I give my way and my will to somebody else and strengthen somebody else? And, and then going back to what you said about pastors, and I love pastors and, and speaking to pastors to dream big, to vision huge, to wonder what if God could do something great, but to never forget caring for the one and teaching other people to do the same. So what would you say to a pastor right now who has a massive vision in his heart and every time he like sees this amazing vision is like, no, 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 too big or too small even, um, not quite what I was thinking. What would you say to them to help them to kind of push through? I would just encourage them to, to number one, test the vision against the scripture uh, and, then, and then find somebody to, to partner with them where two or three agree together in, in my name asking anything. Like God's going to show up. So bounce that off of somebody who's filled with faith. Not somebody who's just going to constantly challenge it, but somebody who's filled with faith. And then believe and hold on to it. The scourge of our generation is when God gives you a vision. If it doesn't happen in six weeks, you're like, nah, I'm done. I'm moving on to the next thing. And that is not scriptural. We have to be patient. We have to trust God. Moses spends 40 years in a desert because of a mistake. And his mistake was he tried to do God's will his way. Yeah. So he spends 40 years, and after 40 years, God goes, hey, man, I haven't forgot you. All that stuff that I said I was going to do, I'm still going to do. And here's how you're going to walk through it. And at that point, Moses is like, I'm not good enough. And God goes, oh, that's where I want you. Let's go. So I think you dream big, but realize it's going to If you're dreaming big, it's going to take God to get you there. And so just relying on that. Dream big and then rely on God. 
And can you tell me about a time when you really had to just have your 40-year desert experience? Yeah, well, I mean, I, years, I've but... referenced it, but I've had several of them. Um, and I, I guess I get my blessing when I say it now, but, but I got a huge blessing when we, were, when we were separated. Jennifer and I both went on extended fasts. Um, I had no idea when we were separated that she went on a 21-day fast. And I went on a 40-day fast. And I, I know we're not supposed to tell people that. And I didn't in the moment. But now I think it's used as a good example. So here's my, I'm getting my blessing right now, okay? <laughs> um, but, but it was during that season that I really, like, I, I really started discovering who God is and who God is to me. And she started discovering. And so it's in, I would never trade anything. We were separated 27 months, two years. And I wouldn't trade anything for it because it's my desert season that defined me. Jesus did the same thing. He fasted for 40 days. He goes into a desert. He's tempted. It's a terrible, treacherous time. And when he walks out of that, he starts his earthly ministry. So I would, say, I would tell a pastor this, don't quit. Don't quit because you're getting ready to compound. It's the compounding of years of pain that walks you into years of purpose. So don't quit just before you compound. Jesus didn't quit. Boom compounding happened. He dies, he rises again, and that's history. We're living in it now because a man did not quit on his purpose. And just because you talked about your marriage a bit, what would you say to someone right now who's going through a tough season in their marriage? Um, I think the first thing that I would tell them is to pray and to fast, to take the spiritual approach, pray and fast, and then get some really solid books. Um, we read Joyce Meyer's Battlefield of the Mind. Um, there was a ton of counseling books that we read. Um, I would encourage people to do that. And then I'll, also I would encourage them to go to counseling. Go sit with a third party. I mean, I have, it's the funniest thing. Of course, we're in the South. We're in this uh, Southern United States. We're in Texas. And so telling men like, hey, you need to go to counseling. You need to go sit down with a Christian therapist who can speak to you like, I don't want to go talk to anybody about my marriage. You know, I'm like, well, you would, you take your truck to somebody to get fixed. You let somebody come work on your air conditioner. Is your air conditioner more valuable than your marriage? Is your truck more valuable than your marriage? So get somebody who's an expert in that field to come in, speak into where you are, and help you understand where you need to go. And then the last thing I would tell people is get a clear vision for your marriage. If I have a clear vision for my marriage, it will keep me from doing stupid stuff right now that will actually derail that vision. And finally, what's your vision for Hope City and you and your family? Five, ten years, I don't know, that's a long time away, but kind of what's, what's your big vision? What's the dream? We, I mean, the dream for me is, is to just keep building the kingdom. And we want to be a church that encourages churches. We want to be a church that encourages pastors. And we've been that so far. We have pastors in every weekend. We've got church planters in every weekend. They're coming. I mean, we don't even have a, we don't even have a permanent location. We just bought property, but we have nothing built on it. You know, we're, we're, we have a bunch of campuses in portable locations, 26 trailers. We load in, we load out. I mean, that's what we do every week. And thousands of people come. And so we have pastors that come in and go, okay, if you guys can do it, we can do it too. And we're like, yeah, man, we're not more blessed. We're not more anointed. In fact, the thing that's the funniest to me is when my friends come. They come to my church and they, they look at it and they go, man, you're doing the same thing that other people are doing. I'm like, exactly. This is a move same of God. Spirit, just keep spirit. doing the same thing. It's the family of God. So that, the, the dream is just to keep continuing to bless people, to see people saved. We've seen 34,000 people give their lives to Jesus in four years. And, and I hope that compounds and we see hundreds of thousands of people give their lives to Jesus, impact millions and do it one at a time and encourage churches and pastors. 34,000 is a breathtaking number, and oh I know that the churches in the UK are going to be so, so, so encouraged by our conversation today. So. Thank you so much for talking to me. Such an honor, Janelle. Now, if you would like to know more about Pastor Jeremy Foster and his ministry here, then all the information is on the screen for you now. Until next time, goodbye.
At TBN UK, we want the gospel to be in as many homes in this country as possible. And you can partner with us in this mission by praying, sharing or giving. For more information, visit tbnuk.org slash partnership. And remember, you can watch us on TBN UK on Freeview 65 or Sky 582.